0: Welcome and greetings to Grace Point Church as we gather again together uh, on the internet, as we uh, participate together in this message out of the book of Colossians. I want to welcome everyone here today, especially our church family, as well as any guests that may be with us here today. We are glad you are joining us in this study of the book of Colossians on June 28, 2020. Uh, we are rapidly approaching uh, July, the month of July, and we are still meeting. Uh, virtually and not uh, in person and we look forward to the day when we can begin to meet again uh, in person and have in-person gatherings and until that day we are utilizing uh, this video and uh, we've taken part of the month of June off with just audio messages uh, but we've returned to a video today and so it's uh, good that we can do this today. Uh, I was thinking this week about uh, searching for treasure, searching for treasure. I remember as a child in grade school, probably probably about the second grade, uh, some friends of mine and myself somehow got the idea that there was treasure buried in the playground of our school. And so every recess and after school, we would dig and dig uh, out in the playground and uh, in search of this treasure. And of course, uh, we never found any treasure, but we sure uh, uh, dug a gigantic hole in the playground, uh, which I think we had to fill in afterwards. But there's this idea that uh, we're looking for something more than who we are and what we have. And there seems to be something missing in life sometimes. Uh, There's a sense that uh, we're not complete, not whole. And there's kind of a hollowness to some of our existence because some of the things we expect will fill us up and give us great satisfaction and significance uh, tend not to do that. Uh, we seek education perhaps in a formal way or uh, skill development in other ways than with the hope and with the promise that it will f- fulfill us and make us something more than who we are and what we uh, are at the moment. And you know the world is good at over promising and under delivering Uh, There's this need in every human life for completeness and fulfillment and significance. And uh, oftentimes we're looking for that significance in all of the wrong places. And of course, the Apostle Paul is well aware of that as he deals with the church at Colossae. Remember, the Apostle Paul is imprisoned in Rome and he is writing the prison epistles. And he's written one here to the church at Colossae, the Colossian church. And he has not seen them face to face. He has not met them. Uh, His uh, partner in ministry, Timothy, is with him and also Epaphras, who has come from Colossae and brings a report on what is going on in the church there. And Epaphras probably carried this letter back to Colossae and to the other churches in that area uh, in that time. And so the Apostle Paul is writing, and he's writing for uh, one really specific reason, and that is to elevate and to remind believers of the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ in the face of false teaching and false teachers who are denying uh, the supremacy of Christ for salvation, for life with God in heaven, and they would deny that and not... uh, help the believers in their growth and spiritual life. And so they were false teachers and they were uh, taking away from them this uh, supremacy of Christ. And so today as we begin, let me pray and then we will turn in our copies of scripture and we will look at a passage here today as we continue our journey through the gospel of or through the uh, book of Colossians. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. And as the Apostle Paul prayed in this little letter, we pray that uh, each one of us would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we would walk in a manner worthy of you, O Lord, and to praise you in all respects, that we would bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God, and that we'd be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might. And Lord, I pray for each one who is viewing this message today and participating that each one of us would engage in your truth, and that uh, you would use your word today to change us, transform us into Christ-likeness. We thank you that you're with us, that you are teaching us through the power of your Holy Spirit, and I pray today that we would all be encouraged and grow in Christ. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen, and amen. Well, if you take your copy of Scripture and find the letter to the Church at Colossae, the Colossian letter in your New Testament, It's a mere about five pages long in my uh, copy of Scripture, and yet it is so packed full of wonderful truths about who and what Jesus Christ is. And so take your copy of Scripture and turn to chapter 2. Chapter 2, we've been traveling through this letter, and today we'll be looking at verses 8 through 15, verses 8 through 15 of chapter 2. So if you'd follow along as I read this passage uh, for us to begin with, and then we will uh, unpack some of it as we go through it. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together. With him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Verse 15, when he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Amen and amen on that passage. This is a, a tremendous passage on the deity of Christ, on his supremacy, and yet it contains a warning as we begin. Just to kind of set the context for us, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul uh, is, is prayed that uh, the believers in Colossae, and by extension you and I today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, would be enlightened with God's redemptive working in our lives through his word, and that we would be growing in our faith and that our real treasure, our real treasure is in Christ. And it's not found anywhere in this world other than in the Lord Jesus Christ as we move through life. Our fulfillment, uh, our completeness, our significance is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives tremendous arguments and reasons in this short paragraph that we have just read. It is the theological heart of the scripture beginning in uh, verse 8 of chapter 2, all the way through uh, chapter 3, verse 4. It is really uh, the heart of this, of this uh, epistle. Uh, heresy is exposed, false teaching is exposed and discussed, and, and the Apostle Paul brings us theological answers uh, to the basis of Christian living, the very practical outworking of uh, what some would consider very uh, just uh, amazing teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. He also gives us a foundation for our faith, for the ethical commands that follow in uh, the rest of chapter 3 and 4 in this letter to the Colossians. Uh, If you wanted a broad outline of chapter 2, it could go like this. In verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, we find our fullness in Christ in uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. We find our forgiveness in Christ, our fullness, our forgiveness, and finally in verses 16 through 23, our freedom is found in Christ. So if you think of those three words, our fullness, or you could say our completeness, our satisfaction, uh, our forgiveness, and our freedom. Fullness, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. And the Apostle Paul is emphasizing this in chapter 2. In our last session together, we began chapter 2, we looked at verses 1 through 7, and uh, it's the beginning of Paul's description of this fullness we can have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you were with us, and if you remember, uh, turn back and look at verses 6 and 7, we won't spend a lot of time here, but just to set the context, remember the Apostle Paul uh, is wanting our hearts to be encouraged, back up in verse 2, that we'd be encouraged in our inner man and in our inner person and that we would be knit together or connected to one another in love and then in under, we'd have full assurance of our understanding of what Christ has done. But then in verses 6 and 7, in verse 7, there are four action words that we see there. And these action words are technically participles. Uh, but uh, they are—they uh, tell us uh, in verse seven, having been firmly rooted. Firmly rooted is the first one, and that is a, a metaphor, a horticultural metaphor or an agricultural metaphor about a plant that's rooted and growing. And then uh, the second one is we are being built up in Christ, and that is an architectural metaphor or a picture. Uh, of a, a building going up. We are being built up in Christ. The third one is established in your faith, established in your faith, and that is a legal metaphor from the, the, the world of law. And uh, that means that we are being, uh, the truth is being established in us. And then the fourth one is overflowing with gratitude. The verb there, or the participle there, is overflowing. what's interesting about those four words is that sets the context for what follows too as we continue looking at where our fullness or completeness or our significance comes from uh, in light of the false teaching that attacks the church not only in the Apostle Paul's day but in our day as well. But those participles, the first one firmly rooted is in the perfect tense and that signifies that that this occurred at the moment of your salvation, and it has abiding results, abiding results. And it is a passive verb, passive participle. The next one, built up in Christ, is a present tense participle, and that means continuing action, and uh, that is ongoing. And the third one is also a present participle, continuing ongoing action of being established in our faith. That's why we're doing this. We are gathering together to look into God's word, to learn together and grow together. I'm on the same journey that you are on. And then the fourth one, overflowing with thankfulness. That is a present participle also. It's a continuing action. What's interesting about these four action words is the first three are in the passive voice. The passive voice, that means that the action is being applied on the object, us. It's being applied from the outside. So God is doing these things. He is firmly rooting us. He is uh, building us up. He is establishing us in our faith. And it's only the fourth one that's in the active voice, which means that we are acting the object. uh, We are acting in this. It's a continuing acting. It's It's our decision, in other words and the picture here overflowing with gratitude as i said last time was a picture of a artesian well you know the water springing up out of the water out of the, out of the earth without a, a man made mechanical pump pushing it it just is forced out and this idea that christians are people of thankfulness and gratitude even in the midst of difficulties and struggles so that takes us to verse 8 and verses eight and ten complete this section, but verse eight is really a warning. Now, <clears throat> if you look at almost any product you buy in the store, there's a warning label. There's always a warning label, and we have become adept at ignoring and filtering out those messages, aren't we? Uh, we, you know, we probably look at many, many different products on our. Uh, Shelves, whether it's uh, chemicals or or cleaning products, whatever it is, and there's always warning labels, and we've become very adept at ignoring those things. And it's estimated that we receive all sorts, thousands and thousands of sound bites a day, and many of those are some kind of a warning label. And we can easily ignore most of those things. We're so adept at that. We're so conditioned to ignoring these things. Uh, But today, we need to slow down. And heed the warning the Apostle Paul has for us in verse 8. Again, take your copy of Scripture and look at verse 8. And his warning is, is beware, do not be deceived. Beware, do not be deceived. Because the danger of false teaching is that it's not so blatant that uh, we immediately recoil from it, but it comes in very subtly because... Uh, Satan is very subtle in many of his approaches and attacks on believers and uses false teachers in that way. In verse 8, he says, watch out that you're not taken captive. Look at verse 8 again. See to it that no one takes you captive. You don't want to be captivated. That word means kidnapped. That word means carried away or taken hostage. We don't want to be taken captive. In fact, uh, we value our freedom so much we really... Uh, as Westerners rejoice in the fact that we have a lot of freedom and we value it. And we're very independent and and very strident about that. And so the Apostle Paul is warning us to watch out that we're not taken captive. And what are we not to be taken captive by? Look again at verse 8 that takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Watch out that you are not taken captive by hollow, deceptive, or empty, deceptive philosophy. And here he's not condemning Greek philosophy or condemning, all of us have a, a viewpoint of philosophy, but he's talking about the particular issues with these false teachers that they had a love for worldly wisdom, and they were teaching that. And of course, we are surrounded by that today. It's the pursuit and the love of worldly wisdom. It's anything that doesn't come from the truth, from God's truth. Uh, Empty or hollow here. It has no substance, really. It may sound good. It may tickle our ears, but it doesn't have the substance. And so what are the origins of this type of philosophy that the Apostle Paul was talking about? What are the origins of that? Uh, He said, it's according to the traditions of men, according to the traditions of men, And, of course, those traditions, we all have traditions in our families, in our churches. And sometimes it's good to analyze those traditions and say, why do we do what we do? Why is that? One commentator on this passage, a classic commentator, William Barclay, wrote this. He said that uh, this human tradition is a product of the human mind and not a message of the word of God. It's not a message of the Word of God. It's a product of the human mind. So that's one of the origins or the causes of this type of empty, hollow philosophy. It's according to the traditions of men. Secondly, it's according to the elementary principles of the world. Notice that in verse 8 towards the end. Rather than according to Christ, elementary principles of the world. Uh, that word that's used there means, uh, you could translate it, uh, com- component parts of a series. And think of it like this, is sometimes elementary teaching, like the ABCs. We learn our ABCs very young, and it's uh, likely here, though, that he's talking about the elementary powers and cosmic spirits. That were used in divining uh, the evil spirits. Paul mentioned spirit beings previously in verse 16 of chapter 1, telling us that uh, God created the spirits which the false teachers venerated in that sense. And Paul will mention these again in verse 10 of chapter 2 and verse 15, telling us that Christ has defeated these spirit beings. And so they're elementary forces in the world. Paul's warning is clear. Don't allow yourselves to be kidnapped by empty, deceptive philosophy based on human ideas and defeated spiritual beings. Eugene Peterson uh, translates this phrase. He said, They spread their lies through the empty empty traditions of human beings and their empty superstitions of spirit beings. And so the Apostle Paul is warning us about these things in verse 8. And then, Verses 9 and 10 tell us that where these attacks come from. They come from two different fronts. Uh, these false teachers attack us on two f- different fronts. Uh, the, first of all, any false teacher, teaching, and teacher will propose that they have a higher knowledge, that there is something lacking in you. And for you to be whole, for you to be significant, you just need to understand and grab hold of something more that is needed, uh, something that an earnest disciple will find completion in. It may be some new knowledge, uh, like these uh, false teachers were saying, that is revealed by a cult leader. Uh, you know, this cult leader will say, I have this knowledge and you don't have it, but if you get it, you'll, you'll grow and you'll be full fulfilled. It may be ecstatic experiences, which are supposed to usher uh, any individual into a new vistas of insight. Or it may be legalistic activity, which demonstrates sincerity of what you think you believe. But the Apostle Paul addresses all these lies in verses 9 through 10, where he tells us we are full with the one who is the fulfillment of all things. Jesus Christ is completely God, and we are complete in him. We just need to grow. The Christian always grows by nutrition and not by addition. Did you get that? Christians always grow by nutrition, in other words, feeding on the word of God and not by addition of some uh, empty philosophy out there. First of all, uh, there were these two attacks. The first attack we see in verse 9, where there's this positive statement, For in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. God, Jesus Christ is fully God and f- fully human, which these false teachers were denying. Uh, they were saying that all matter is evil. Therefore, Jesus, if he is truly God, could not have a human body because matter is evil and that he was just an emanation from God. Uh, but the fullness of, G- of God dwells in Jesus in bodily form. And uh, the present tense of that verb of lives is significant. It's not a temporary dwelling. It is permanent. It is eternally past and eternally future. Jesus Christ is always God, as he stated in chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, the Apostle Paul is arguing against this idea that the fullness of God dwells anywhere else. All the fullness in life, the completeness in life, is sourced in Jesus Christ, Christ alone. At the Incarnation When Jesus Christ came to earth as a babe in a manger, the second person of the Trinity assumed humanity and is forever the God-man. He is the eternal God-man. One author wrote, Jesus is God spelling himself out in a language that men can understand. Uh, He is a language that we can understand because he shares our humanity. And so they attacked the person of Christ. They were denying that Christ was the God-man in verse 9. And the second attack is they attack believers in Jesus Christ. They attack our identity in Christ. Look at verse 10. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. Did you get that? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are complete in him. Now, you may not feel complete. You may not look complete. But the Bible declares this truth that you are complete in Christ. How can that be? Because you have been made complete by him. He is the one. He is the fullness. Verse 10 tells me that I am made full. There is nothing lacking in my spiritual life in Jesus Christ because of this, because he is the head over all rule and authority. He is all powerful. And so if our lives are not centered around the Lord Jesus Christ, it is tempting and easy to fall into some type of idolatry, whatever that may be. And so we have this warning in verse 8 and then the follow-up of our fullness. And then verses 11 through 15, he goes to the next section where he's talking about absolute and total forgiveness is found in Christ. Now, none of us are perfect. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we can't work our way to forgiveness. It is a gift. Grace and mercy are given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he uses in verses 11 through 13a uh, two pictures of what it means to be spiritually full. Two metaphors. We're familiar with the words, but he's not talking about physical things. He's talking about our spiritual position and the fact of the reason why we can have forgiveness in Christ First of all, we are circumcised in him in verse 11. Look at verse 11. And in him, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So when our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was crucified, he took on the sin of the world. Remember that? He redeemed us by taking on the sin of the world. And it was removed at that point. He, it's called the circumcision of the heart, what Jesus Christ has done for us. In him you were uh, circumcised by the putting off of your sinful nature. Uh, the picture is and the symbol is in Old Testament Israel that people were identified uh, with God because of this rite of, super, of circumcision that were performed on the males of Israel. we are back uh, in, in Genesis. And yet he's talking here about what the real importance of that is. Is not the right, but is what God has done for us. It's a symbol of the fallen nature, the flesh within us. And when we become Christians, it's revealed for what it truly is, that any of those rights and those uh, trying to work our way to God is worthless in God's sight. It doesn't advance us in any way in his sight. Uh, we recognize that we cannot please God in our flesh, in ourselves. Jesus himself said, without me, you can do nothing. The natural life, the old Adamic Adamic nature is of no value anymore. And we need to remember that, that he has circumcised our heart, our spiritual. uh, We have a spiritual identity with him. The second picture is baptism. Now, we always think of baptism as what happens at a lake or a stream or in a, in a baptismal, in a church building. And we think of the physical act of baptism, which is really symbolic of what really has happened. And so in verses 12 through the first part of 13, look at that again. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And so we were baptized with Christ. We were buried with him. And that's what water baptism symbolizes or pictures is that going down and dying with him, being buried with him. But we have a future and hope. We're raised up with him as he works in us and we have life forever. We are made together with him. Uh, We have total forgiveness, the cancellation of this debt. Because in verse 13, it says, For when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your life, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our transgressions. Forgiving all of our transgressions. If you notice in this passage, all the declarations, the promises about we are in him, in Christ, we are united with him. And so our debt of sin was canceled. Look at the second part of verse 13 again. Uh, He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us our transgressions, having canceled out their certificate of debt, their certificate of debt. The Apostle Paul in verse 14 is talking about, it's a written code and regulations. Uh, He's talking about those things that are written. It's like uh, accusations made against us because of our sin, accurate accusations, and that is opposed to us. And the Apostle Paul is talking about a, a certificate of indebtedness or a signed confession of guilt, which stands as a perpetual witness against the debtor. It was like an ancient IOU and unable to pay it. And two things comprise a certificate of indebtedness, the regulations of the law and our offenses. And so for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one can keep the law perfectly. You think of the Old Testament uh ten commandments given to the nation israel nobody could keep that perfectly paul reminds us in the book of romans that you just break one of them you've broken all of them and so we stand as debtors we stand in the midst of our offenses because he tells us here that we were dead in our transgressions and in the uncircumcision of our flesh but it's because of what jesus christ has done he has made us alive together with him and he has forgiven us for all. He has canceled our sin debt. And so the, the cancel also means to to wipe out, to wash over, to erase. G, God, Jesus, God and Jesus Christ has erased and cancels the documents of our debt and uh, our, our uh, indebtedness, I guess. And how do we do that? Uh, how does he do that? Excuse me. How does he do that? And doesn't that make the law cheap when guilty people are set free without having to pay for their crimes? But absolutely not. When you think about it, God himself paid the debt when his son died on the cross. Jesus Christ upheld the holiness of the law of God when he paid the penalty for our sin. God not only erased the document, but he took it away and he nailed it to the cross Uh, When Jesus died, uh, the condemning document was destroyed, and we are fully forgiven. It says here, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And that's a picture there of the victory that Jesus Christ had on the cross. According to uh, Middle Eastern tradition, whenever a debt was settled, either by payment or forgiveness, the creditor would take the canceled bond, or the document, and nail it over the door of the one who had owed it, who was who the debtor. And anyone passing could, be, could see that it had been paid in full. And then in verse 15, uh, spiritual fullness meets complete salvation, full forgiveness, and absolute victory. And this is a picture really that comes out of the Roman world. In verse 15, Paul writes, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, remember these are the Uh, the evil spirits and the things that would uh, destroy us. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, through Christ. We have spiritual fullness because if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have participated. He has caused you to participate in his victory. And this is the picture out of a Roman general uh, coming back from a victorious battle, leading his troops in a great celebration victory, and leading the the defeated ones the defeated army uh, for the derision of others and the cross is the cosmic drama of this por- of this of this portrayal being played out uh, as of God in Christ as he battled and gained victory over the powers of evil we tend to have this uh, idea that uh, the death of Christ was a defeat and the resurrection his resurrection was a victory Uh, But no, Christ won the victory over sin and Satan on the cross. The resurrection was God's vindication of the victory already won. The resurrection was a declaration of the power that Jesus is the Son of God. It is a public declaration and demonstration that confirms his death has been effective for the forgiveness of sins. And he disarmed the powers and the authorities. He broke their power and stripped Satan, of his power, made a public spectacle of them. On the cross, Jesus won this decisive victory, making clear to the universe that the Satan is a vanquished foe. This does not mean that we don't have evil and problems in the world and there's not conflict. The devil has been defeated on the cross, but he has not yet conceded defeat. He has been overthrown, but he has not yet been fully eliminated. That is yet still future. Satan continues to harass us with his demons. When we understand that our identity in Christ is secure, we can live above Satan's control. Notice again, just let me sketch back as we go back, starting in verse 9. For in him, I'd encourage you to underline every in him and with him in this paragraph. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells. Verse 10, in him you have been made complete. Verse 11, and in him you were also circumcised. And in verse 12, you were buried with him in baptism. We were also raised up with him. And you are made alive together with him. Down in verse 13, you have been forgiven all of your transgressions. You have been forgiven. As I think about this passage, and there's much in here, but I think now is the time to ask the question, where does my treasure lie? Where does my completeness, where do I find completeness, wholeness, and significance? Uh, Is it in my job? Is it in uh, raising children? Is it in uh, all sorts of good things? But is it firmly and finally and fully in the Lord Jesus Christ? You have to ask yourself if there are other things attempting to take the place of Christ at some of the deepest levels of your life, whether something else would make you obey it, Uh, whether uh, people, perhaps uh, others, are trying to frighten you into serving other things uh, or claim advantages that are more quickly available to you if you learn to walk a different way, Uh, but yet we are called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there are all sorts of voices out there that are captivating, that can delude us, that can reduce our joy or remove our joy from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I invite you today to face those things, deny them, draw near to Jesus Christ, and give him the preeminence of all things in your life. And of course, if you're not a believer here today, you're not in him. And the the Bible tells us how we become to be in him. And that is by belief in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Over 150 times in the New Testament, the requirements for eternal life after this life is just belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and who he says he is and what he's doing for us. For God so loves you that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is the promise. Read the gospel of John and you will see that that's what God is promising and he will fulfill it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for the great grace in our lives. Thank you for the fact that you are carrying out your plan. Thank you for the wonderful truths of all that you've done there in the passage that we have just looked at. We praise you for your goodness and the peace you give us. Amen and amen. Let me send you out into your week with this uh, benediction. Remember, it's a blessing to you for your days ahead as this week out of First Thessalonians towards the end where the Apostle Paul writes these things. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may, may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. Amen and amen. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.